Good evening. This particular piece of penance is, uh, is about how we tend to try to bargain with the Lord. I don't know if I'm the only one who does that, you know. If you do this, then I'll do this. And I know that's not the right thing. But this is a song about <coughs> kind of the ultimate bargaining. Um, it's about a man who asks the Lord to let him win the lottery. And I know none of you have prayed for that. And it's called Lottery. Lord, let me win the lottery. Won't you let me win the lottery? You'll be surprised at the change in me if you let me win the lottery. I give half my winnings to charity. Buy guide dogs for those who cannot see. In each room a bowl of potpourri. Save the whales out there at sea. I'd take some classes in pottery. Make bowls and glasses as gifts for free. I'd help a cat that's stuck up a tree. If you let me win the lottery. I don't have to be no mega millions, Lord. What would I do with all that money? They say a man who has billions Don't care if the day is sunny I won't spend it all at once I just want to have a little fun Be gone no more than three weeks Put some color back in my cheeks Just want to pay my monthly dues Go on one killer's spending spree Then in church you'll see a lot of me If you let me win the lottery The government will take about half Family gathered round the golden calf Leave me standing there holding my hat So that would be just about that Lord, let me win the lottery. Won't you let me win the lottery? You'll be so surprised at the change in me if you let me win the lottery. <laughs> I discovered something amazing that in order to win the lottery, you have to buy a ticket. Well, tonight, um, I'd like to maybe switch gears a little bit and, well, start off with a joke, um, but then uh, talk about some prophetic voices in the church and outside of the church that are, are defending the family today. And some of them you certainly will have heard of and others perhaps not. But here's the joke, okay? Inter I'm going to do this in my phony baloney Irish accent. Okay. In tears, Mary Clancy went up to Father O'Grady after the nine o'clock mass, and he asked her, 
So what's bothering you, Mary, my dear? She replies, Oh, Father, I've got terrible news. My husband passed away last night. And the priest says, Oh, Mary, that's terrible. Did he have any last requests? She says, That he did, Father. He said, Please, Mary, put down that gun. I know, I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> okay, the first prophetic voice defending the family is uh, John Paul II. Saint John Paul II. Uh, I remember sitting in my, my apartment in Boulder, Colorado in 1981, May the 13th, when Ali Aja Khan put three bullets into his gut. And it was that day I realized, hey, this dude is taking, taking the heat. I gotta do something also. And I realized that I didn't wanna get shot, but I did wanna do something, something radical. So I decided at that moment to seriously uh, discern my vocation. No one was more surprised than my family and my girlfriend. More on that tomorrow. St. <laughs> John Paul II, you know, when he died, there were those signs, Santo Subito, which means saint right away. And I'm, we're so happy that he was canonized. He very prophetically said that the future mission of the church, the most important task of the church in the future, would be to care for families. And there was an apostolic exhortation that came out. Here's an excerpt from it. It's called Familiaris Consortio, the role of the Christian family in the modern world. And he said this, Willed by God in the very action of creation, marriage and family are interiorly ordained to fulfillment in Christ and have need of his graces in order to be healed from the wounds of sin and restored to their beginning, that is, to full understanding and the full realization of God's plan. Marriage as a form of healing of the wound of original sin. He goes on, thus the little domestic church, which is the term that the Vatican Council used, like the greater church, needs to be constantly and intensely evangelized. The family, like the church, ought to be a place where the gospel is transmitted and from which the gospel radiates. The future of evangelization depends on a great, in a great part on the church of the home. That's what the domestic church really literally is translated as, the church of the home. And that each one of us, each one of you is meant to your family is the church of the home. When the first Christians celebrated Mass, Mass was celebrated not in chapels or cathedrals, but in the home. On his 126 international pilgrimages, John Paul II was concerned with bringing the good news to families and knowing very well the pressures and attacks that families were suffering from in our secular society. You know, he grew up in the crucible of suffering under the Nazis and the, 
and the and the, uh, Stalin and the communists, and so he really knew the pressures on the family. Now, following John Paul's lead, Pope Francis in 2014 held a special synod on the family. Uh, some of his words on husbands and wives, as well as those on annulments and communion, have, well, garnished more than a little attention in recent years. I'm not going to go into that too much right now, or not at all, really. Uh, a second prophetic voice is, you could say, not, not from the church, but uh, resounded a hundred years earlier than John Paul. Have, have you ever heard of uh, G.K. Chesterton? Yes. Uh, he is one of the great heroes, I believe, of the Catholic faith. He was a, a figure literally bigger than life. He spoke in paradoxes. He had a wonderful wit. He carried a, a sword with him. He, he was just a character and a half. But he was incredibly prolific. And just to give you an idea about, you know, he was the master of paradox. If he used the word light in a sentence, he would also use the word dark. If he used the word uh, human, he would also use the word animal. If he used the word religion, he would also use the word pagan. You know, he just had this way of balancing these contrasts and opposites. And if you get a chance to read any of his works, he writes a lot about the family. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, the famous English journalist and convert of the late 19th and early, early 20th centuries, he was the biggest convert after John Henry Newman. He had an artist's eye, a poet's intuition, and a gift of vision. Uh, again, 100 years before John Paul II, he wrote extensively on the family, foreseeing the challenges and dangers we face today. Very prophetic. He wrote in a book he, he called Heretics, the supreme adventure is being born. When we step into a family, we step into a fairy tale. He was so romantic and, and, and so interesting. Establishing a family in marriage is what G.K. Chesterton called the wildest of adventures. Think about that when you got married. You were setting out on the wildest of adventures. In 1919, he wrote, When we defend the family, we do not mean it is always a peaceful family. When we maintain the thesis of marriage, we do not mean that it is always a happy marriage. We mean that it is the theater of the spiritual drama, the place where things happen, especially the things that matter. It is not so much the place where a man kills his wife as where he can take the equally sensational step of not killing his wife. <laughs> There's the paradox. In the 19th century, explorers had pretty much discovered all the far-flung corners of the earth. So G.K. Chesterton maintained uh, that with fewer places to discover, the real adventure for adventurers was to stay home. He thought that the Victorians had lost the sense of sacredness of, of the home. So he said that the problem of the family was not a social problem, but a spiritual one. He said, it's something so important and precious that once broken, it cannot easily be repaired, even with a proliferation of pro-family laws. 
We've seen that come true, haven't we? The solution for Chesterton remains in each individual family, in the mind and heart of every man and woman. For at the root of every marriage crisis and, and family life is the problem of one's own personal life. Meaning we can, we can blame everything on others in the family, but really we need to look at ourselves first, don't we? Hence the importance of human integrity over romance. He wittily maintained that getting into marriage is by definition getting into trouble. This is why I love him. He's just. And if people keep getting married, it is due to the truth that if there is some happiness to be found in this life, it is to be found in the home of the family. Well, that's very true. G.K. Chesterton was full of compassion for the limitations and weakness of human beings, beginning with his own. But he was also full of hope in the immense capabilities of love and self-sacrifice. In his conversion to the Catholic Church, he felt as one finally coming home. He calls the church the home of man. To his own surprise, he saw the, quote, madness of the gospel as the only sane thing in the world. Again, he uses the word madness and sane at the same time. The doctrine that keeps a family sane is the gospel, he said. At the dawn of the 20th century, he realized already that the decay of the family was not so much based on the lack of traditional morals or even mere human weakness, but on a whole new battle with a very different kingdom than that of God. The family, therefore, was the central element in his vision, the unifying theme of his literary work and he was incredibly prolific. He fought for the family because it is the place where one can give oneself to others without diminishing one's own joy. The only place where we can truly be free, where to command is to obey, to serve is to reign, and to suffer is to triumph. It is a place God the Father created out of love for love so all might experience the warm love of God from Ephesians, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So he fought in his day against the sociologists and the psychologists who were insisting upon a new kind of family, a new definition of family. Chesterton saw the family as more sacred than the state, Again, very prophetic how the state is sticking its nose into every family. He said the family has an earthly sanctity joined to a divine sacrament. In this sense, D.H. Lawrence, his contemporary writer, said a Christian marriage is the greatest contribution of Christianity to civilization. And Chesterton saw in the growing promulgation of easy divorce in England calls it a barbarous act, dividing the tune from the words of the song. In the Jewish family of Nazareth, he saw an inexhaustible source of inspiration and strength. For with the first Christmas, God entered the human family. He wrote a lot about Christmas and a lot of poems, beautiful poems. 
For with the first Christmas, God entered the human family and the family of man entered into the Holy Trinity of God. So, this is why uh, he loves St. Paul in Ephesians 5, who would later write that the love of man and woman is a figure for the love of Christ for the church. So, Chesterton's conviction that the modern attack on the family was really an attack on Christianity itself. So he would defend the family as he would defend the church, like a great squash buckler, you know. Let time change, let the weather change, but do not invent an adulterated family as if it were the real nourishing thing. Think about this. He wrote this over a hundred years ago. Chesterton was the great lover and defender of liberty and democracy because he saw the home and the family as a source of freedom and democracy. He was convinced that whatever freedom and happiness human beings can attain would be, first be found in the home and everywhere else secondarily. He was not defending a particular kind of conservative authoritarian family crying out, Family become what you were, but rather family become what you are. Certainly we see his prophetic vision being played out today. Now, a more modern prophetic voice, I believe, is that of Scott Hahn. Have you, many of you heard of Scott? Yeah, he's, uh, he's on EWTN quite a bit, and he's, he's just one of the great lights, I, I believe, of the Catholic Church in the U.S. He's like Chesterton, he's a convert to the Catholic faith, and he has eight kids. Uh, he teaches a, at Steubenville in Ohio, and he's written many books, but three really important and very readable books on the subject of marriage and family. The first one is his kind of conversion experience with his wife, Kimberly. It's called Rome Sweet Home, about their journey to uh, Catholicism. And then the second one is, I think it's just one of the great books. Uh, it's called A Father Keeps His Promises. And to be fair, the story I told during the uh, homily today came from the introduction to that book. I didn't have time to put a footnote. It's a biblical study about God's family covenant with humanity fulfilled in Jesus Christ and the Eucharist. If you want to know the Bible really well in a very short period of time, and if, you, and if someone says, could you tell me the structure and, and what the Bible's all about, you can do it in five minutes, 50 minutes, or five days. It's so beautifully laid out, and you can remember it so well. That's the way he is as a teacher. A Father Who Keeps His Promises. And his most recent book is called The First Society, The Sacrament of Matrimony and the Restoration of Social Order. So any one of those books would be great if you want to read about marriage and the family. And Chesterton, I forgot to mention, there's a collection of some of his writings on the family. It's, it's called a, a Brave New Family, after kind of the brave new world, you know by Aldous Huxley. Now another wonderful, wonderful Catholic writer, again, uh, a convert from Protestantism, uh, is Peter Kreft. Have you heard of him? Or Kreft? 
K-R-E-E-F-T. He's a uh, professor of philosophy at the Jesuit Boston College. He's written some fantastic, wonderful books. Uh, I think he's the G.K. Chesterton of today. I love him. I've been meaning to write him a letter and tell him so. Uh, he's very witty, very profound, and he expresses himself in a very simple way, much simpler than Chesterton, but very, very, very beautiful way. He's written over 40 books, and one of my favorites came out about three or four years ago. It's called Before I Go, Letters to Our Children About What Really Matters. It's a little hardcover book like that. And he sat down for a year and wrote down just a few thoughts about what he feels is really important and what he wants to hand on to his children. It's really worth getting, that book. It's called Before I Go, Letters to Our Children About What Really Matters. And he, I, he kind of takes up where Chesterton left off when he talks about the family. And I, I have rather an you know, extensive quote from him here, but it's worthwhile, and we'll kind of end with this, this quote. So Peter Kreeft, he asks a question on one page, what is the family? That's the title of the, the page. And remember, he's, he's talking to his kids. I think he has three or four kids. He says, our experts don't even know anymore what everybody else knows, what a family is. They demand not just toleration for non-families, that's good, but redefinition of the family so that non-families can be families, and that's bad because it's not really true. If two gays or lesbians can be a family, why not three? Why not four spouse swappers? Why not polygamy? Why don't I have the right to redefine the family so that I can marry my sheep? The question is a serious logical question and demands a serious logical answer. Why not? We already have cloning, surrogate mothers, test tube babies, and more. We can have Aldous Huxley's Brave New World tomorrow. Read the book. It's prophetic, he says. Without stable families, where do we learn what love is? Where else do you, are you loved? Not because you give amusement or sexual pleasure or economic benefit, but just for who you are, not for what you do. Nothing hurts kids more than broken families, and nothing is more selfish and irresponsible and inexcusable than hurting kids. Sometimes it's unavoidable, he knows especially your kids. The most horrible way our society hurts kids is by literally tearing them limb from limb, sucking their brains out, burning their skin off, crushing their skulls, and breaking their bones. That's what the procedure of abortion does. We do that to a quarter of all the children we conceive. I cannot understand how civilized human beings can tolerate that. Almost no one who sees it, who faces its sheer physical reality, can tolerate it. Babies in a dumpster, nine months old, perfectly formed babies, our babies. The photos bear an eerie resemblance to the emaciated, naked babies of the Jews, whom the Nazis redefined as non-persons and bulldozed into mass graves. On the next page, he asks, 
What can conquer this evil? And his answer is this to his children. Only strong, sacrificial love. Arguments alone cannot change hearts. Love can. We have been given a love that lasts forever from the only one who lasts forever. A love that is not an affair of the moment or the month, but of eternity. The world does not believe in this love anymore. You have to show it to them. You have to help him save the world. Strange indeed that he would use such imperfect instruments as us to help him save the world. That's Peter Kreeft. So I'd like to conclude then with another blessing from St. Paul. And this one is from uh, Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 20. It's a little bit longer, but it's worthwhile. It's so beautiful. St. Paul speaking to you tonight. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who, by the power at work within us, is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.